The Tablet Show, Episode 15, with guest John Sanmez. Recorded live Saturday, January 7th, 2012. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to John Sonmez about building iOS and Android applications. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome to The Tablet Show, a subsidiary of .NET Rocks. Indeed. Would you say it's a subsidiary? Uh, I guess it's just another show alongside it. You know, we, we we need to do topics around mobile and tablet every week. So what else could you do but make a tablet show? Absolutely. We uh, also do better know a framework on this show. So let's just jump into that. Nice. Because there's a lot to talk about. Oh, found something good, have you? I did. Well, you know, the network stack has been totally rewritten in WinRT. Yes. Uh, at least as of this recording. <laughs> yeah, right. Because, of course, that was only the pre-release that we got to build. We still haven't got the beta. So who knows what's going to change. Yep. So in Windows.networking.backgroundtransfer, hmm. there's a namespace for that. Uh, the namespace enables advanced download and upload transfer capabilities with a Metro-style app. You've got a background downloader which is used to configure downloads prior to the actual creation of the download operation okay. using start download async. And you also have upload operation, download operation, and background uploader. Okay. Used to configure upload prior to the creation of the upload operation using start upload async. So um, that's basically it. I mean, you have all this stuff just nicely built in. Ready to go. Yeah, because async is the only way. Right. And they had the opportunity to rewrite the networking stack so that it was all async all the time. Yeah. And that's exactly what we want anyway. Hell of a lot easier to write it that way. Yeah. And that's what you want, really. I mean, programmers dealing with, you know, streams and response and requests and all this stuff. It's like, I want to upload a file. Yeah. Can I just upload a file, please? It'd be nice if I could do it in the background asynchronously, too, and have good <laughs> updates for my progress. Yeah, exactly. So that's exactly what you get. Awesome. So who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed an email uh, for the tablet show from Peter Vutov, who said, Hi, guys. I'm really enjoying your new show. One topic that you've discussed a few times is the native versus HTML5 approach to app building. I'm still on the fence on that one, so I'd like to hear from more experts who have experience on both approaches. In my opinion, it will probably come down to personal experience. If you're a rock star Objective-C developer, you'll insist it's the one true way to build iOS apps. And if you're an HTML5 slash JavaScript guru, you'll point to the coming wave of HTML5 support across all devices. I don't have an answer, but it'll be interesting to put two such individuals or more on a panel than hear them hash that out. Yeah, sure. And I pointed him to the show that we did um, at NDC right. a couple of years ago where we had this great panel. And man, talk about, we. first of all, you know how they do the uh, evals there, color-coded um color-coded pieces of paper yeah that you just they, drop in a box red uh, red yellow green so they were all green yeah people not like that well we had a great panel very animated conversation yes so it was about that 
But I will, uh, Peter, send you out a mug. And I think I have the show for you right now with our guest, who is a cross-platform developer. So let's bring him on. John Sanmez is a Pluralsight author and full-time senior developer at Trackabout. He works and teaches in a wide variety of technologies and platforms, including C Sharp, Java, Objective-C, Android, and iOS. He has a passion for agile development and real estate investment and firmly believes that comments found in source code are evil and will lie to you. (laughs) Welcome, John. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. You know, that's really true. If you don't keep on top of comments, and let's face it, there's no IntelliSense helping you saying, uh, this comment doesn't apply here anymore. You you find some really funny stranded comments once in a while. Yeah, I, I, I've really gotten a lot of heat for that sometimes. I, I wrote a blog post on uh, elegantcode.com saying that comments are evil, and a lot of people really didn't like that. But, you know, as I've been developing for the last you know 10 or 12 years here, I constantly am going to legacy code and looking at comments and I'm, I'm baffled by what was the original meaning of this? Because it's, it's more often than not, it's just leading me down a red, uh, a red herring down a bad trail. So yeah. Yeah. I always like the comment that said, this code sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing to see here. Move along. Yeah. No, I'm embarrassed that I wrote this, but I, they made me. Don't make me explain this to you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you uh your technologies run the gamut here you're the like the quintessential tablet show guest you you've got a lot of experience in all these things yeah i've been kind of uh been going around a, a lot of the different technologies you know I, I kind of started out uh trying to build a an android app when i first got my android phone and uh, I found that I, I needed to expand that out to other markets and get to, get to the iPhone. And really, it, it took me on this really big uh, technological journey. Um, luckily, I had a little bit of background with Java and, uh, and different technologies to start with. But, uh, but I ended up kind of going all around. And eventually, I've kind of settled now into the, the mono stuff, the mono touch and the mono for Android as, as kind of the way that, that I think I'm going forward. Really? It's really interesting that people have such different opinions on this. Um, some people say, like, like we interviewed Kevin McNish last week and, and he's like, you know, I'm just going to go with the tools that, you know, that are there for Apple. Cause I figure that, you know, if they're good enough for everybody else, then they're good. And, you know, I just want to use the platform. But then, you know, mono for Android and mono, mono touch are just like, well, it's C sharp. You know, I don't really have to give up anything. And I'm still creating native code, so. Yeah, definitely. Oh. You know, I mean, I start out with Objective-C. I, I had written an Android application uh, called Pacemaker that kind of tracks your running and it tracks your pace as you're running. And I wanted to port that over to iPhone. And you know, I didn't know anything about Objective-C. I, it, it really baffled me with all the brackets and <laughs> it was kind of intimidating. But I, uh, I started porting it over just, you know, line by line. How can I convert this over to Objective-C? And I learned Objective-C. And that took me some time. It, you know, it, it definitely was a challenge. It reminded me back of my old C and C++ days, dealing with pointers and memory management. And then uh, I I thought, and I was against Mono. I was against the Mono Touch and the Mono for Android because I said, well, you should develop in the native platform. I mean, use the tools that are, are there. Right. That's what, what the framework developers have used. And I, I gave myself a challenge. I said, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to download Mono Touch. 
and I'm going to build an application over the weekend or I won't. I'll either do this or I'll fail. And, you know, simple, simple little application. I just had a, had a baby and I wanted to make a, like a peekaboo application. Okay. So I, I gave myself that challenge and it only took about a day to even, you know, just download, install and get everything set up and, and figure out enough to, to get going with it. And I realized that even though Objective C, it's not that bad. I mean, it's, I think it gets a, a, a worse rap than, than what, uh, than what it really is. Mm. But, Using the monotouch, using .NET, which I was already familiar with, being able to use delegates and and to be able to respond to clicks with uh with a lambda expression, right? So much easier than trying to, f- you know, figure out your way through Objective C and worrying about memory and right. and all these these things. So I I have a an experience I want to share with you. Maybe get some help from you. Uh, maybe our 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 listeners as well. So um with when I was talking with Kevin last week. He mentioned that some people are, I believe it was him who mentioned that some people are using uh, iOS in a VMware machine, like a virtual machine, so they don't have to carry around one laptop, uh, two laptops, you know, just a, you know, a Mac and a, and a Windows machine. So I actually tried that. Turns out it's not really possible. I mean, mm-hmm. first of all, it violates the agreement. So. Yep. Apple really doesn't want you to do that, but um, I hear that you know there there's like some uh, images that you can get that you can download illegally that you you can try to get it working, but you're really sort of fooling the system and tricking the system. VMware doesn't really support it, but there are hacks out there. So I guess is there any solution for that, or do you actually use? Am, am I really stuck the way I think I am? Well, you know, I, I kind of address this a few times in, in some of my Pluralsight courses and the iOS courses and the Objective C courses, because a lot of people say to me, hey, you know, I don't, I don't want to invest in Mac. I've got a, I'm a Windows developer. I'm a .NET developer. And I, I don't, you know, I don't just have money to burn here to try out a new technology. And really, I think there's a simple way to get into it, which is, you know, MacBook Airs are relatively inexpensive compared to, you know, MacBook Pro. You don't need a a big horsepower machine. I've got a MacBook Air and it, you know, I got it. I ended up with, you know, the discounts and stuff getting it for around $900. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could buy a used one. And, and certainly the Mac minis, those are, I, I don't even know what they are now, but I know they're less than the MacBook Airs. But there's, I think there's some low level, uh, or low barrier ways to get into it. And, you know, I've tried the VM as well, and I just couldn't get that to working. I get that working well, and I tried even there's this cloud service, and I just tried that recently where you kind of have a Mac in a cloud, and it's already set up for iOS development, and it was just slow. It was just right. it was just a pain, you know. But I, I don't know. For me, I like the MacBook Air because it's so light. You know, I've got a, a little. I've got a Tom Bin bag. I know I've heard you guys talk about that before. Oh yeah. Uh, I can slip both. I can slip my regular laptop in there and my MacBook Air and my iPad, you know, and it's it's no problem. So that's that's the way I would go is is the MacBook Air. Now, is the screen big enough? I haven't really seen a MacBook Air in a while, but I remember them being kind of tiny. It's it, you know, it's tiny. It, de- it depends on I guess there's the, the two or is it three models that you, you can choose from. One thing that I, I do sometimes is I use the connector to connect to one of my uh, bigger 24 inch monitors, like when I'm at home. Right. And then I use Synergy. Yeah. It's this application. Great tool. That lets you, 
Yeah, yeah, it's a great tool, and it, it lets you go back and forth between Windows and Mac. You know, just you drag your cursor right across the screen, and you're onto the Mac. So that's very cool. That's that's what I use. I, I, you know, I think you're hitting on an interesting point here, which is that it's not just about the language, but about the tools themselves. That I mean, are you work when you're working in mono? Are you working in studio? It depends, you know, on on the mono touch side. This is mm-hmm. it's it gets a little bit confusing. The, the the basic supported way to work in mono touch is in the mono develop, which you can do that on. Well, for mono touch, you need to do that on on the Mac side if you're if you're going to do that. Right. Now you can take some your Visual Studio project, and you can get that actually working on Windows on in Visual Studio 2010, your mono touch project. Okay. And it's 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 going to build and but you're not going to be able to run it because the, the big part of the technology stack is still on on the Mac. The simulator and everything is going to run there. So, what I've been able to do is to kind of get it working and I've got some instructions. I could provide those afterwards if you, if you want. It's a little bit complicated, it kind of changes, but but you can get it so that you can get to the point where you can actually build inside of Visual Studio 2010 and use ReSharper and all that to do your development. But MonoDevelop is also a pretty good tool. I mean, as far as an IDE, it's it's really not that bad. But can, compared to, to the Xcode development experience? Much better. Xcode is just... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. The older version of Xcode, before yeah. this new version came out with, uh, was, was horrible. It was just, it was just really bad. Yeah, that's but what Kevin said, too. But this new version too. of Xcode... It's not that bad. I mean, it's 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 still though. I would I'd much rather be in in mono develop. Interesting. This is fascinating to me, just because if, uh, the core thing you're saying here is if you're building for iPhone, you need a Mac in your life. There's just no way around it because you can't do the simulation without it. I yeah. I mean, you basically do. You could try the VM route, and I guess some people have had success, but I, I spent a whole day trying that, and you know, downloading this image and that image, and. And they just don't work. And here's the thing that when they don't work, you're clueless because you're, you're in an, yep. a strange operating system that you don't know how to tweak and you don't know how to fix. So unless you've got, you know, the, the Mac kid whiz next door or whatever, you know, to come over and look at this error message and see. And then, you know, not only how, how do you fix that on a Mac? How do you fix it in a VM? It's like, yeah, exactly. that doesn't support it. Yeah. Yeah. I usually recommend to people, I say, look, if you want to get an iOS development, you're afraid of putting out the initial outlay of the money, go ahead, go on eBay or, or Amazon or whatever, buy a used MacBook or MacBook Air or whatever you can find the cheapest way to get in. What about older Macs like iMacs, the, some of the cheaper things? Will they work? You know, it has to be an x86 uh, processor in order right. to, to run. So OS X so, or higher. Is that yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. I just went on to Frugal and looked for Mac Minis. They're five hundred bucks, huh? And, and and you know you can do that. You can buy it, right? You can do your development and see how it goes. And, and let's say you said, "Oh, iOS development's not for me." We'll sell it again. I mean, what are you going to lose? Like you know, fifty bucks, a hundred bucks over that right. time period? Yeah, the Mac Mini seems a really really feasible alternative. They're five to six hundred bucks, as Richard said. Yeah. They, they dual core, quad core, two gigs or four gigs. I mean, there's just a few options there. They're tiny little machines. The connectors are normal. Use the screen and stuff you've already got. Mm-hmm. I'm going on Amazon right now for five sixty eight ninety five. There you go. 
and you put it on your KVM switch. It's just another alternative interf- machine, and, and there you go. Are you synergy like uh, like John is saying? Yeah, yeah, I like it. I think that's the way to do it. But I, I just, you know, I'm trying to get to the simplest solution here, and it sure seems like the simplest solution is you know you have to run a Mac if you're going to make this work, which means you pretty much now mono develop seems to make the most sense because it will run on the Mac, where a studio won't. And you do get C sharp with its nice language features, and the IDE is okay. Right. Yep. All right. I mean, I, I, that excites me. That that seems to be, you know, the the lowest. Uh, get me the most stuff for the least weirdness. Well, and also, you know, there uh, the latest Xcode, as uh, both John and Kevin had said, is um, you know leaps and bounds beyond the previous one. So obviously, Apple is taking a few, uh, you know, hints from. Microsoft did in terms of the the Visual Studio experience being really nice, but you know you still are managing your own memory for one thing. And actually, with the newer version, you you can kind of get away from it. It's kind of tricky. Like with with iOS, there's a lot of confusion about how's the memory management now. There's you know if you're, if you're developing a Mac OS application, you have garbage collection, which a lot of people don't realize. And right. then if you're developing an iOS application, if you're developing an iOS five application you can turn on what's called uh, automatic reference counting. And what that will do is, as long as you set up your project as automatic reference counting enabled, it will basically take the memory management out of your hands. So this is kind of a new thing that's come out. I know when I was developing my original iOS applications, I had to do the the release and the allocs, but this will kind of let you not have to manage the memory because it's it's not operating as a garbage collector what it's doing is it's being smart and the compiler saying hey i know that you allocate this memory here and this variable is going out of scope so you probably want to release this so let's go ahead and do a release yeah and i think kevin mcnish was talking about that last week as well this portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at telerik hey can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the Tablet Show. Well, let's talk about the state of developing apps in terms of you know feasibility. If you're if you're one of these people who's like you know I'm gonna I'm gonna make the next Angry Birds or the next game or whatever that's gonna run on all these platforms, where do you see the where do you see the money right now? Is it still in iOS or is it gotten too big? Has the marketplace gotten too big? Is that a pipe dream now at this point? You know, that's a tough one to call. I, you know, from my personal experience, I've got one main application out there, that pacemaker application. And 
I've seen more revenue from the iOS side, the iPhone side, than the Android side, even though I had the Androids built six months earlier. And I, I'm still surprised, you know, I, I think one of the, the major things that people have to realize if you're developing an iOS or any kind of mobile application is it's all advertising. It's that's the main thing because you're talking about a buck or two buck purchase. That's an impulse purchase. So if you advertise and you, you could have even the worst application in the world and you're going to get sales because people are going to buy it. But, you know, with, with that aside, just thinking about the, the market itself, definitely I would say that even, even still iOS, the iPhone, uh, consumers are much more likely to to buy than on the android side even though android seems to be growing faster it is a cultural thing isn't it that that apple owners are used to paying 99 cents for an app and it seems like android owners come in sort of two species the hardcore geek who does not want to pay for software in any way and the non-technical person that's been sold this product by the carrier and has never been told that they could install apps in the first place yeah, that seems to be the case. You know, I, I know personally myself, like on my iPad or on my iPhone, I will, I don't even look at the free. I look at, because I assume that the free is junk. Right. I, I see. I'd or rather, limited, I'd rather pay good money. You know, I'd even pay, you know, a few dollars for an app if it's a good app, because yeah. I, I feel like if there's a well priced app that I, I, I don't even trust free. I, I, I trust if I'm paying a couple of bucks that someone's making some money on the other end. So they're, they care about building this app. And it's a couple of bucks. You pay twice that for a latte. Right. Exactly. And it's gone in 20 and minutes. It's gone in 20 minutes. I was going to say, I, I, my current obsessive game on the iPhone is unblock me. Have you seen this one? No. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I just wasted a whole bunch of time in your life. Uh, you know, I I have not admitted this before, but we're now after Christmas, so I can say that I got my wife an iPad for Christmas. Yeah. And I got it for exactly one application, which is a curling coaching app. Because as I think some of the listeners know, as Carl knows, uh, my youngest daughter is in, seriously into curling, c- curling at a, at a, at a national level. And, but this app was a hundred bucks. Mm. It's a professional's curling app and, and it was the only way to get it. It's a very, very good tool for measuring and, and tuning your, your curling skills. And so uh, in the end, I bought it for that app. The fact that she used it for all other kinds of things is interesting too. But the bottom line was this was the best folks that are doing curling use this app. It's on an iPad and that's all there is to that. Right. I remember this old model where it was about the software. Because the impulse buy software is not that. It's the pro, it's the device and then the software is sort of candy on the side. But uh, with, with the iPad, I think you're now seeing there's specific apps that are really important and expensive that are worth buying uh, that product for. At least in the case of tablets, the sovereign app model, that's uh, Alan Cooper's terminology, you know, like Word and Outlook, like apps that you want that basically specify your device you know going all the way back to lotus one two three right like how many ibm pcs were sold because of one two three you know i had this experience in 2011 yeah. buying an ipad to get an app it's interesting isn't it i i think uh you're you're on to something here which which i've kind of been predicting it's it's kind of i think you can look at the these mobile markets kind of like a financial market as in it's got to be efficient and what i mean by efficient is that it's going to self correct so when the when the mobile devices first came out when these markets first came out 
you had a lot of junk apps out there. People were just yeah. making their buck as quick as possible. But the consumers become more discerning. Mm-hmm. Now what's happening is you're you're looking at the apps and you can look and you can you can kind of scan the icon and just the description and figure out oh that it's almost like spam in your email. Like we've all developed a skill of of picking out spam. We can pick out spam apps. And so that trick isn't going to work anymore. So this money-making machine isn't going to work. So over time, I think we're going to see the quality of apps improve. And I think we're going to see the prices improve on those apps. And I think we're going to get to this point where people are going to buy, are going to be willing to spend good money on apps where it's not going to be 99 cents anymore for every app. But those apps are going to be good, good quality. Well, I think we're getting to this, uh, to the next part of this market, which is, you know, you're working for a company that in the 90s, their goal was to get their web presence out there. And now their goal is to get their device presence out there, their iPhone, Android, tablet presence out there. And they want an app that spans all of these things. You're not going to make any money on it as an entrepreneur, but you know, maybe this is where the jobs of, of the future really are. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think, you know, if you look back when the web was first coming out, I remember looking at an M&M wrapper and seeing that M&M, you know, Mars had a website and I thought, why would they have a website? That's so silly, <laughs> right? This is crazy. Why they don't need a website? And then uh, now, now saying that I sound like the silly one, right? Because of course they need a website. They're a company. But the same thing. Why would we not expect that to happen with apps? Sure. Hey, I, I want to pursue the same realm of discussion around the Android side because you've explored, you know, both Xcode and Mono develop. Uh, what about uh, the 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 Android development environment and uh, the mono equivalent of that? Well, I have to tell you, there's not as much of a distinction there. The The big thing in my mind right now is that if you're using the mono touch and the mono for Android, you're going to get some code reuse. And that's right. why to use the mono for Android. Because it's all C sharp. Exactly. Yeah. As much as I like the mono for Android, and the whole product package, it's not really giving you a whole lot that some Java skills. I mean, if you're a C-sharp developer, if you want to just start developing an Android application right now, it's not that big of a technical hurdle to jump. Right. Now, if you're a C-sharp developer and you want to start developing an iOS application in Objective-C, that's a pretty big hurdle. Right. So, so you're not really, you know jumping a huge gap in this case but what you're getting is if you're if you want to develop for both platforms you can reuse some code in fact i'm i'm working on a project right now for my main company where i'm building an application that is going to be able to have kind of a core project that's going to have most of its logic in there and i'm just building the ui for android and objective c and i'm doing this using mono touch and mono for android and that's really where i'm i'm seeing the benefit interesting okay because the normal Java development environment would be Eclipse, I'm, I'm guessing here. It's Eclipse is, is typically what I use. A lot of other people use IntelliJ. IntelliJ, of, co- of course, is from uh, JetBrains, the makers yes. of ReSharper. So it's, it's kind of got a lot of that kind of feel to it, which, which mm. is nice. Eclipse is more of the kind of general open source uh, type, lots of plugins. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're both pretty rich environments. I mean, I think that would be a pretty nice place to work. I, I get your point that 
the the richness of the Java language doesn't you know makes things a lot easier compared to working Objective C and it and I've met plenty of folks who can switch hit between C sharp and Java they're just not that different. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's definitely true. I mean, I, I don't want to I don't want to be little C sharp in any way. Definitely C sharp is definitely better than Java in my opinion. It has a lot more features to it. The one one of the really frustrating things in Java is that you don't have any notion of delegates. You don't have any way to you, you kind of have to simulate this through design patterns, but definitely you get that with mono for android is that you can use the c sharp part of you know you can just dot click plus equal and then you, you write a lambda expression and that's that's nice but aside from that point really they're kind of similar as far as if you were to just say i'm going to develop an android application in java versus i'm going to develop it in mono for android and you and you kind of take out that that one portion of it it's it's going to be a pretty similar experience so if you had one killer tip to give uh, Visual Studio developers for uh, jumping in, what would it be? I think to, to, to do two things. One, develop an application on the native platform first, or even just play around with it a little bit. Understand how Java and Android works and how that environment works in developing a native application. Just go through a Hello World program. Just There's plenty of documentation. Do the same thing on iOS. Learn a little bit of Objective-C. Just kind of understand the background so that you know where, where this is coming from, where this whole framework is built up. Because these frameworks are built off of language. And the, the developers on those frameworks that are developing the platform, that's what they're using. So you, if you get that background, then take a look at other tools, whether, it could, whether it's going to be the mono tools for mono touch and mono for Android, or even some of the JavaScript or HTML5 tools that poured over. But start with the basics and then and then work up and then you'll kind of appreciate it more and you'll have a better understanding of the entire platform. That's very good. So, uh, John, before we wrap here, tell us a little bit about uh, your work at Pluralsight and also track about. Okay. So uh, at Pluralsight, I've been producing a lot of courses lately. A lot of them are targeted towards mobile. I kind of have my foot in all different technologies. So I've got some .NET stuff there, some Java stuff, some Objective-C, and a lot of those courses kind of build the same mobile application. So if you wanted to check those out, you could kind of see how to build an application in multiple different languages and operating systems. Okay. and Which I've really relates to what you were just saying. It sounds like you just built a set of courses that teach what you were suggesting. Right. Try building in each of these different platforms so that you have a sense. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I recommend in those courses as well is just to get your base and then and then decide where you want to go. Awesome. So tell us about Trackabout. So Trackabout is a, a company that is unique in that all of the development team, we all work remotely. And so it's it's really very nice to be able to do that. And we have really a team of top notch dot net developers and we are actually looking to hire another .NET developer. So if you are looking for a remote work from home job and you're a skilled .NET developer, we are looking for you. And what we do is we basically work in mostly in the gas industry and we are a tracking system. So we have a website where we track cylinders, gas cylinders, 
if you think about like medical oxygen and all the different gases that, that go out and we track that. And we also have a mobile component where we use, actually right now we have a, a CF.net mobile handheld unit where people can scan barcodes on cylinders. And we're actually in the process of building an Android and iOS application for that. Interesting. Yeah. I, that sounds like a whole other show, like the, the, the hardware of that. And you said you're using the old uh, compact framework. Yeah, we actually started out the application actually before I joined the company using a tool called AppForge. And it was actually a tool that lets you cross compile from Palm to CF.NET. And now we have a CF.NET version. And now the technology has kind of moved on us again. And so, sure. so now we're, we're looking at the Android and iOS. But the CF.NET development is definitely interesting. It, it definitely can, it can be pretty painful at times just because... Yeah. There's pieces of the .NET framework that are missing that you think, how's there not an event handler for this thing? Yeah, right. <laughs> You'd end up doing a lot of sockets programming in the compact framework, I found. Very true. Yeah. Well, you know, I'd love to have you back when you guys are making that migration from CF over to, to Android iOS and uh, and see what, what you end up with. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I'd like to be back anytime. Then the other conversation around this is, you know, where WinRT fits in this whole equation, if you guys are going to start looking at tablets in that scenario, too. You know, we haven't really looked into that seriously. We're, we're, I think at this point, it looks like we might be able to, with the iOS and the Android, kind of fill that tablet space. It, it, de- it really depends. You know, in this industry, it's rugged devices because you've got these drivers out here that are driving cylinder you know gas cylinders and they're kind of rough with the equipment and you know you have temp- temperature extremes so mm-hmm. right now motorola is the only one really building this rugged tablet and it's an android device right so we're kind of we're we have our eyes on that and we're kind of watching to see what's going to happen with that that whole industry yeah, and I think that's exactly the key point is the rugged eye. Although I just saw a video of somebody dropping an iPad from 100,000 feet and it landing safely. An iPad? Wow. They, they put it on a weather balloon. The boom bursts about 100,000 feet. And it's in a, in a case that means it landed fine. I mean, it's a gag. You know, once you're past, I think, 50 feet, you're at terminal velocity anyway, right? Yeah. But, I, a ruggedized hardware is the hard part and, uh, and an important part to make that work. And it's interesting that you'll use whatever tools you have to to get to the right piece of hardware. John Sanmez, thank you very much for joining us on The Tablet Show. Thank you, guys. It was uh, a lot of fun. All right, and good luck in the future, and we'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. It's not too much, but it means a lot. Just